Hello and welcome out there to the next part in our limited podcast series on planning for a successful customer service strategy in 2020. I'm your host, Michael Kramer, and I'm the head of marketing here at AgriSync. For those of you who might not be familiar with AgriSync, we provide a software platform that helps simplify communication for modern agriculture through voice, text, and video. To learn more about AgriSync, visit us at agrisync.com. That's A-G-R-I-S-Y-N-C.com. Or to see a short three-minute video, check out agrisync.com slash demo. Of course, we want to take a moment to give a quick shout out and thank you to our friends at Precision Farming Dealer, who this podcast is presented in conjunction with. So today, we're going to dive into delivering adverse communication. You know, that type of communication that few people want to deliver and even fewer people want to hear. It's not fun. It can be stressful. And if done incorrectly, it can even be a little detrimental. But even with all that being said, we're here to talk to an expert to see how to better deliver this adverse communication. Hi there, everybody. This is Michael Kramer with AgriSync, and I'm here to present on our fourth topic in our podcast series dedicated to making you better for your customer success in 2020. Today, I'm here with Professor Gloria Betcher, and we're going to talk about some communication issues focusing primarily on delivering adverse communication to your customer base. It's something that we all do, unfortunately, but something that comes up quite a bit. With that, I'm going to introduce our guest today, Professor Gloria Betcher. She is a professor, uh, an English professor here at Iowa State University. Um, Professor Betcher, why don't you go ahead and just describe a little bit about about yourself, uh, a little bit about about your background. Don't forget to include that you are a farm girl growing up. So this is primarily... (laughs) Well, you already did that for me, Michael. Oh, I did a little bit, yeah. So um, I'm going to tie that into uh, our audience here. But go ahead and give us a little bit, bit about your background. Well, so I am an English professor here at Iowa State, and I've been teaching here for 26 years, mostly a lot of business and technical communication, so the sorts of things that your audience will be interested in. But before that, I was at the University of Minnesota, because I am from Minnesota. As you said, I grew up on a farm in southeastern Minnesota, and so I know a little bit about the farming industry and I've learned a lot about it here <laughs> sure. at Iowa State. I bet, right? Yep. Um, but I'm hoping that my 30 plus years of experience teaching business communication yep. can help your clients, your yep. customers, whoever tunes into this That's podcast, right. yep. uh, learn a little bit about adverse communication strategies. Yeah, and I, and I this is a topic that, uh, in terms of talking to our listening audience, that they, that they're very interested in, right? Because it's something that we do all the time. Right. And in, in, in this business that um, that we're in, we uh, focus on the um, it's a relationship based business. Mm-hmm. And as I know, being married, thankfully, you know, I mean, one of the things that we do is constantly work on communication. Mm-hmm. Right. And whether you're married or whether you're talking to um, uh, delivering news to customers, um, not all communication is created equal and it's not all fun. So um, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how to better deliver that news. Because from our previous conversations, um, I think it's safe to say there's no silver bullet. There's no (laughs) No. (laughs) perfect way to deliver not great information. But before we do that, I wanted to start off by saying, um, let's just talk about communication in general for just just for a moment to kind of lay the to get the lay of the land. Um, uh, There's all sorts of communication, good communication, bad communication forgettable communication, you know, but, um, talk about that, that the delivery of mess communication in general from one to the other, what are some attributes of good communication in general? 
Well, I think uh, based on what you said that, mm -hmm. you know, some communication is forgettable, I would argue that maybe that's not actually communication. Fair. <laughs> because it seems to me that communication requires a loop. Sure. You have to have your sender putting out a message and there has to be a receiver who's actually receiving that message. And so like in a football game, if the quarterback passes and the receiver drops the ball, it's not a complete pass. And in a communication loop, uh, if you send a message and your receiver doesn't grasp that message, I would argue you aren't really communicating. Right. But we have a continuation of that loop, which is the feedback part, right. which tells us whether we have successfully sent our message or not. And if the receiver sends back that message saying, huh, right. I don't understand, we know we haven't been successful. And... Too often, I think we as communicators think about the message we want to send rather than on crafting that message so that it is able to be received. Right. So we have to think more about that receiver, our audience, yeah. than we do. Right. Because for most of us, communication is sending a message. Yeah. It's not about receiving the message. Right. And I think we need to focus more on the audience. And here at Iowa State, we actually have for decades now yeah. taught a rhetorically based communication strategy that says the audience is important and audience-centered communication is the key to making that feedback loop, the communication loop, as successful as possible. That was a great way to start off because I'm going to make you unpack some of that, right? Because I love mm -hmm. your your example of you know going from the sender to the, the receiver, right? And then, the, you, but you've got noise in there. Mm -hmm. So that quarterback throws the ball, right? It's it's usually, the receiver doesn't usually not catch it because they're not capable, but there's there's defensive linemen standing mm -hmm. in the way. There's there's wind. There's a, a great D-back that's in the way. Who knows? There's this noise that gets in there. So, um, and we, we in the ag world, face that noise all the time. It, the noise could just be, you know, you're, you're out uh, in the field and you're having a bad day because something broke down and mm -hmm. your, your mind is distracted. Talk about some of those distractions, that noise. Um, and, and I want to tie it back into the idea of knowing how in football, I know that you didn't catch that ball, mm -hmm. but if I'm picking up the phone and I'm talking to you and you're in your field and I'm sending you the message, I'm, I'm telling, trying to tell you something I don't necessarily know if you've caught that ball or not, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't see the noise in between you and me. Are there ways to do that? Uh, can you talk about that, the, the process of noise, how it gets in the way, and then maybe ways we can find out how well it was received? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the finding out is the more difficult sure. too. Yeah, right. So with regard to the, the kind of noise you might anticipate, sometimes that noise is actually technological. Right. So if somebody's sure. out in the middle of a field with their cell phone and they're trying to report a problem, you could conceivably have um, actual technological failure because the cell call drops. Sure. Right. So when you're sending a message, you have to make sure that you're optimizing the opportunity for the technology to work. So you need to choose the right kinds of channels to send your message. Right. Um, you need to know your audience. Is your audience actually a cell phone user <laughs> or is your audience a little bit more traditional and, and prefers the, the personal touch of a face-to-face -face conversation? Um, does that 
audience member maybe use email, but they aren't so great at texting. So considering the channel carefully and making sure that you are creating usable communication. So that's one type of noise. And I think you can anticipate those kinds of problems and try and work around them by knowing who your client is, who the receiver of your message is. The other aspect, have they actually received your message, is a little bit more difficult. And that's because we don't always get the feedback we need immediately. Right. Now, in the best of all possible worlds, that person listening will say, huh? Yeah. What, right. what did you yeah. mean by that? Or they, they might say, okay, so here's what you want me to do. And they repeat it back to you and you know the message has been right. received and, and everything is good. I think that Typically, the kind of feedback we want to look for is feedback that actually says that message is being used the way we want it to be used. So if you're telling your client that uh, he has to report things in a different way, for example, uh, not calling you on your cell phone personally, but calling into the system. Yeah, the more of a hotline stuff. Yeah. Uh Um, Then... If he actually does that, that's feedback. And that tells you he got the message. message. If he calls you on your cell phone after you've told him, don't do this, then you know the message was not received clearly. And you need to think about whether you need to send another message. Do you simply need to follow up on that? Or do you need to reshape that message in some way to make it more uh, accessible? Sure. Or more palatable. Well, okay, so that that's a great point because uh, we're inundated by messaging. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on, I'm on the marketing side. You know, and I'm I'm always pushing that messages should be memorable and mm-hmm. or short or to capture your attention. Right? I mean, and that's not always easy to do. Uh, and, and I mean, I I know sometimes you and I were talking before. My default is well, I'll just explain this thing to death so that person knows, and they walk away, and they, all they say is. That man talks a lot, and mm-hmm. I didn't catch a single thing that tuned he said. it out completely. Tuned it out yeah. completely. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I apologize if I butcher it, is uh, you know Mark Twain when he said, "You know, I wanted to write you a, lo- a short letter, but I didn't have time, mm-hmm. so I wrote you a long one instead." It's true, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're hit by so much information. If you are, if your farmer sitting there in their cab. From reading from their their cell phone, the text, their their Twitter feed, mm-hmm. uh, to what's happening on their screen, they're getting inundated with information. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden something goes wrong. They're calling you at the advisor and saying, "How can you help me? What are some ways to to try to make that?" I know you're talking about the feedback, and I think that's great. All of a sudden I'm getting ideas of all right, you know, a follow up with them, making making them repeat back a little mm-hmm. bit, so you understand. So what what's going to be your next first step? Are there any tips, tricks, just things you have in mind that might help our audience get that message across a little general communicate communication in general get across a little easier so in general yeah um (laughs) what i'm always telling my students Mm -hmm. is you have to take the time before you have that conversation if possible (laughs) sure to understand as much as possible about your audience so you want to think about that person now if this is someone who you know it should be pretty easy for you to say well i know that uh 
Jake likes to hear from me in person. He doesn't yep. want to, he wants to talk on the phone. He doesn't want to text. I know that he appreciates me getting back to him in, in an hour or two rather than a day or two. I know that, that he doesn't contact me unless something's essential. So the more you know about your audience, the more you can identify when you have to get back to them, what you have to include yep. in that message and how you deliver that message. Now, if you don't know your audience, it makes it more challenging. And so you have to be thinking about the ways that you can maximize the mm. potential for a message to be accessible, usable, and comprehensible. And we have at our disposal a number of ways of doing that, um, making a message accessible. If you've got somebody who needs to be following instructions of some kind, maybe it's not so accessible to be speaking those instructions because they have to be following them at a later date. Interesting. So yeah. sending right. that message via email. Mm -hmm. So it's in writing. They can use that document in the field. They can use it at home, wherever they have to use it. Yep. They have the text. If it's something that they need to be doing with you, mm -hmm. then talking them through it makes more sense, right? Yep. So thinking about how the recipient, the audience is going to use your message. Then thinking about what do I need to do to make this accessible to them um, with regard to their personal needs. So maybe, you know, Jake is hard of hearing, yeah, right? Yeah. So you might have to speak more slowly if you're on the phone, more loudly, or maybe you and Jake have just agreed you're going to do everything in writing. Sure. Um, so the, the personal needs yep. of that audience, assessing what kinds of things the audience values. Mm -hmm. You got somebody who values timely consume. Uh, sorry, timely uh, communication. Sure, That's sure. what I want. Yeah. Um, then you don't make that person wait. If you have someone who values the personal touch, then you use the personal touch. If you have someone who values, hit me with the facts. I just yep. need the facts. Then you hit them with the facts. Yeah. If you have someone who has a particular set of attitudes, uh -huh. You want to try and avoid those things that might be triggers for that triggers, person sure. or things that, that you can highlight as shared values so that you can bond with the person you're communicating with. Yeah. Most of us do not set out to antagonize when we're, <laughs> right. try well, yeah. when we're trying to communicate with clients. <laughs> with clients, right. right. Absolutely. I mean, there yeah. are certainly some circumstances where we... Not in political season. Do, do oh, we never. Ever try? Never. 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 Okay, no. I just want to make sure we got that on record. No. Yeah. Um, but the the idea that you think about those needs, values, and attitudes of the audience, the more you can think through those things before you yeah. communicate, the more you maximize the chances you're going to communicate. And then there might be comprehension issues. Maybe mm -hmm. you have um, a client who is a non-native speaker of English. Sure. Right? We have a growing uh, Hispanic population. Yep in Iowa, and maybe that person's first language is Spanish. Sure. So do you need to find somebody to work with you so that you can communicate effectively? Absolutely, right. Um, that would be something you could think about in advance. Yep. And if it's a call at the last minute, let's yep. say, and you can't strategize in advance and you realize that that person yep. has the need to have an interpreter of some kind, yep. tell them you'll get back to them and find somebody. That, yeah. that can work with you, right? So 
we sometimes don't put in the time to think through these things and we sabotage our communication at the front end. I love the phrase that you just said, sabotage, because I was I was thinking it's the, the you, that time in the front end is never fun. I mean, because mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, uh, for the audience, uh, uh, Professor Betch and I were talking ahead of time about the idea of putting PowerPoints together. And I know this isn't something that necessarily the listening audience has to do a lot of, but the amount of hours that you put into a slide that you maybe talk to for two or three minutes mm-hmm. at most. But but that those hours make those maximizes those mm-hmm. two to three minutes more so than you ever if you just put a bunch of bullets on this. So, and I know we're talking different things, but I think it's that front end time which it's, people struggle yes. to comprehend. Like, it's worth it. Well, they, they want to skip to what they see as the meat of mm-hmm. the process, right? So in the communication process, most of us think of the meat of the process as the message. Yeah. But before wow. you send the message, you have to think about how you craft that message, how yep. you're going to send the message, who's getting the message. Otherwise, you might as well just be yelling that message out in this room <laughs> and hope that it lands on somebody's ears. Yep. And I don't think that's very smart communication. Yeah. And if we communicate in a smart way, mm-hmm. we have a better chance of succeeding. And if we know that we can strategize... Yep. For maximal communication, why wouldn't we do that? Now, there may be some instances where we can't because we just don't have the time. Absolutely. But if we have that time, it's better to invest it before we open our mouths or before we hit send on that email than to take the repercussions of a message that might be received in a way we never anticipated yep. and possibly in a way that that is detrimental to our relationship with that audience. Amazing. Uh, and I say and I say that because recent event uh, with a family member of mine received a text from their superior and it was short and it was um, it was short and very poignant. And, she, and my family member did not receive it well, mm-hmm. but the sender did not mean for it not to be received well. The sender was thinking to himself, oh, I need this information quick and I, and I don't have time to with all the pleasantries. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he got what he needed, but the repercussions, mm-hmm. there was a ripple effect. Um, and it, it, it lasted and it still lasts a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and to Absolutely. that degree. So I, I appreciate where that's coming from. Um, and we are going to get to adverse communication. I just want this communication this discussion. This is all related is, it's all to related, adverse, right? adverse communication. Yeah. Um, one of the things um, that uh, we talked about here in, in terms of the investment of time on it, it's, I know I struggle with seeing, we'll say that forest through the trees in terms of being like, all right, Michael, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend a half an hour crafting this when I've got the boss calling, you know, I've been mm-hmm. knocking on my door. I got the cu- cu- other customers calling, but I mean, it's hard to kind of see that investment, but until you hit send and you realize, who knows, it, it's, we're not even talking missing commas. We're just talking about the, do you have any recommendations in terms of that process of, is it good? Let's just, let's just pick on an email or a text mm-hmm. message, something that's written. Um, uh, do you have any recommendations of the process of, is it good to, to start at 8 a.m. in the morning, uh, write it until 8.30, make sure you get it right, walk away until... 9.30 and come back. I don't know what that is, but I mean, is there a little bit of a process that kind of helps you maximize that? I, I do think that putting something away after you've drafted it yeah. and then coming back to it 
can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a city council member here in Ames, Iowa, and I have to deal with a lot of emails from constituents and respond to those emails. And if I sent the first response that I typed up, I mean, as as an English professor, I have a lot of words at my disposal. And inevitably, my messages are very long Mm -hmm. and they say lots of things. When I put them away for a while and come back to them, I realize my audience doesn't care about this. I care about this thing. I remove it. So it can help us identify what is essential to the audience and what's not essential. And if we are assuming that our information is what's essential, then we may be losing what's essential to our audience in that noise of too much information. Because information overload is a huge problem these days. Well, we we live in a world, a digital world, which is cool. I mean, it's it's great. Uh, just having grown up, I mean, like, you know, we were just short of sending smoke signals to catch people's attention. Now I can, I can tweet at you. Mm-hmm. I was talking on a, a previous podcast with, um, on another podcast with uh, one of our clients. They have clients who are Snapchatting them. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie, I never saw that coming. I mean, <laughs> I get the, I get that people will direct message you on Twitter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. some, some of these great ways. But some, there's, there's, there's just so many ways to communicate with mm-hmm. people. Um, one of the things I find super interesting, and I, I don't even know if this is so much of a question, but just so you, you get your take on it. Um, in the agricultural world, Twitter is a very, um, it's a means of communication, right? Mm-hmm. People receive a lot of information that way. Um, and we live in a very Twitter world, right, where, where we just mm-hmm. read headlines because that's – and that's what I've equated it to. I mean, I think farmers in general like to read those headlines because they can get a lot – sometimes they can get the information that mm-hmm. they want. But as a marketer, for example, <laughs> and whether it's a marketer and myself or whether it's our audience, everyone's in marketing the moment you hit send, right, because mm-hmm. you're trying to attract interest, dri- drive interest, gain desire, make them take mm-hmm. action, right? It's the old AIDA model. Yep. But in Twitter, what you're really doing is you're, you have 280 characters. Mm-hmm. As an English professor, I bet you have words that are longer than 280 characters, right? I mean, it's we, we, we are in a, in a headline-based world, and it makes yeah. it hard to sort through yes. to capture attention. Hey, look at me. What? You amongst everyone else? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I think clickbait works. Because it's saying something that someone is saying, oh, uh, may not be what they want, but it captured their attention. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and the, the best attention-grabbing tweets are going to be those that people have thought about. Yeah. Right? Because when my students do assignments where they're allowed to tweet, inevitably, most of the tweet is fluff. Yeah. It's not essential. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not engaging. Mm -hmm. And when they think through it a little bit more, and I tell them, you need to provide some concrete material in there. Your tweet is supposed to be generating interest in an event on campus. You haven't mentioned the name of the event. You haven't said anything about the date of the event. Could you do that in a really short way? Yes, you could. And you could still generate interest. But most people these days who are using Twitter Mm -hmm. or who are texting a lot, especially younger people, rely very heavily on generating enthusiasm with an exclamation point or maybe two or three or four exclamation points. And I have to tell my students, the words generate the the enthusiasm and the exclamation point just caps it off. Sure. And so thinking through what, which words are essential at the front end again, instead of just 
tweeting something yep. and hoping it works is smart use of your strategies. Yep. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna relay this right into where we're, the the meat. We've had all this buildup. We've had all this setup, which is good. But to to the to delivering adverse communications, because mm-hmm. I think that it's a it's a perfect relay into it. Because what you just said is, um, look, adverse communication comes across in a lot of different ways to these guys. Um, you know, some ways uh, that I you know they might have a service planned uh, for their for their client base, and all of a sudden it goes from X dollars to X plus however many more dollars mm-hmm. x plus y right no, no one wants to see an increase i mean you can say okay two percent for uh the cost um for inflation or something like that but usually it's more than that and even then sometimes they don't like they might have a, a territory change where uh the same rep that has been servicing them or calling on them for 20 25 35 years now has been reshifted to another territory or for whatever reason now you're going to get this new person this young pup that you don't know anything about and you have to build a mm-hmm. not fun news right there's there's tons of ways to do, that these guys have to deliver adverse as a shameless plug and friendly reminder this is a limited podcast series focused on helping you plan for a successful customer service strategy in 2020 presented in part by agrisync and precision farming dealer this is your host from agrisync michael kramer to download our checklist on how to deliver bad news and to listen to other podcasts, visit agrisync.com slash customer service. Where do we begin with how to deliver bad news? Uh, it's, it's not fun. But... I, well, let me, let me tell you where we begin. Sure. First of all, we begin with what I think is a misconception. Okay. And I think that misconception is that something is bad news in its essence. Okay. And I don't think that's necessarily true. It's bad news because of how it's received. Ah, More often than not, it's it's what the recipient makes of the news that makes it good or bad. Mm-hmm. So the example that I like to use is with the 2016 presidential election. Mm-hmm. After that election, which was so emotional. Sure. If I went to the college Republicans here at Iowa State yep. and said, Donald Trump won the election, they would be so Cheers. happy. Sure, right. right. But if I took that same message, Donald Trump won the election and went to talk to the college Democrats, sure. that would be right. bad news. So it's exactly the same message. But the recipients, the audience, have a different attitude toward the message. Right. So if I'm going to convey that message, I might need to think if I'm going to deliver the bad news to the college Democrats, Mm -hmm. is there something that I can do to make this less bad? And that's where the strategies for delivering adverse communication come into effect, because if all you do is say Donald Trump won the election, everybody breaks down in tears and and they're. They're devastated by that news. That's not a very proactive stance. Sure. And so if we think about the meat, right, the meat of this message, what we want to do is put the meat between a couple of buns. (laughs) So you you want to provide a buffer that's positive or neutral. Yep. Then deliver that bad news and then end with something else that's going to be positive or forward-looking in some way so that the audience is left with something that they can act on or be 
happy about yep. or happier, happier about. So if we consider something like um, the fact that maybe your plan cost yeah. is going to go your up. service plan goes up uh, 20% this year. Okay, so ask yourself sending that message, mm-hmm. why is the plan going up 20%? Is there something in there that we can use as a positive? For example, are they going to get some change to the service or is it just going up 20% for no reason? Right. And if there's something that's going to be changed, how can the audience benefit from that change? So it might be that they're paying more, but they're getting something else that they hadn't anticipated. So it's an improvement. So opening with a statement about the the value of the customer, yep. presenting the bad news, and ending with, here's what you're getting. That can help to offset the bad news. And I think that's interesting because, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been on the, the side of, I've, I've been an OEM rep delivering message to dealers. It was, it was during a time when um, we, we made uh, engine products and electrical products and the, co- the price of copper was skyrocketing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, we, we just couldn't, we had no margin if we didn't raise the prices. So there was an understanding of that. But then the demand was so high that, hey, if you're in economics, you know, this is the time to capitalize mm-hmm. too, right? So sometimes I think it was hard for us to deliver that message. One of the ones that we did typically go with, and I, and I liked what you were saying about this, it was always that, hey, we're taking, we're taking this and reinvesting it back. Mm-hmm. So future products, yep. right? And I think that um, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like sitting down and putting the time on the front end, mm-hmm. it can be hard for the receiving audience to necessarily hear that because we live today. We don't mm-hmm. live two years from now, mm-hmm. right? We, we will get there, but we got a lot of todays to get to that point mm-hmm. where we reap the benefits of that. But, um, but I think that there's some merit to that, right? At least is, is it how much... How much uh, credibility or credence does your audience give you with the gesture of putting good news into that? Does that make sense? Am I asking? Are they, are they, do they look uh, at I'm that? I'm giving they... you feedback. I'm not sure what you're asking. Yeah, okay. So, so are the, do they look at that and they say, you know what, Gloria, that's cute. That's fluff. Give, mm-hmm. me, the, give me the meat. Yeah, oh, yeah. Or do they say, okay, I, I see it. I don't like it, but I see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's 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 a scale there, right? Mm-hmm. To oh, glory, that was amazing! I'm so excited for what happens in two years. Yes. Right? I, I didn't know um, from your experience and your knowledge how that receiving audience takes that sometimes, and what can you do to to assuage some of their worries? Well, so uh, again, I think I probably have a couple of answers yeah, to please. that. Yeah. So one has to do with again knowing your audience. Yeah. So if you know that one of your clients is that sort of person who says, just hit me with the bad news, I don't want the fluff, <laughs> right? then hit them with the bad news because you're respecting the attitude that they're no nonsense. But part of being no nonsense is also then talking with them about the future relationship, okay? which is still a look to okay. the future and yep. it's still something positive. So maybe what you've done is gotten rid of the, we really value you as a customer and we're raising our price. Yeah. So it's, let me be straight with you. We have to raise the price, but I value our relationship and we need to talk about what this means for you moving forward with your needs. Yeah. So you can offset that bad news with the personal relationship if you know that audience. Yep. 
if you don't know the audience and if you're assuming, well, I'm going to write the same letter to everybody delivering this bad news, then you're already making the mistake of creating a boilerplate letter that's just going out to all the customers and the customer is going to be saying, well, they don't care about me. Right. This is boilerplate. It's going to everybody. So you have to strike the balance between delivering the message and also creating that impression that this is a personal relationship because it is. If you're dealing with um, the relationship between the trusted advisors for AgriSync and their clients, trusted advisor says it all, right? right? If I... If I'm going to trust you, I expect you to be upfront with me. And so you might see that as a reason to be upfront. And I found that people appreciate that if they think you aren't trying to fool them. Yeah. So that in itself can be a positive. Yep. Um, I don't think there's, there's always a means of shielding people from bad news, right? Fair. I mean- the cost is going up. The cost is going up. It's, let's be real. <laughs> but, but there may be things that you can show as benefits. Yeah. There may be things that you can show as um, a positive action that the client could take. So let's say there are different packages available, yeah. right? So your package is going up. We do uh, have this other package that we could offer you, or we could offer one that's more expensive, but it also has all the bells and whistles and so you really are getting more with that one. You know, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because there's an element. Sometimes that communication, it's almost like it should drive some of your actions. Yeah. Because when you sit down, you, I, I refuse to believe that sometimes that it's just, hey, this is the way it is. Okay, mm-hmm. we're just going to raise, across the board, we're going to raise the prices 20%. Okay, well, maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, maybe that's what has to happen. But uh, maybe it's also worth going back in t- inside of your dealership, inside of your organization, going back to, to leadership and saying, hey, that's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. Instead, if we can take some cost out mm-hmm. by, do- by offering different packages, right? Your 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 silver, gold, and diamond mm-hmm. or platinum, right? And then um, if everyone's currently at the gold, you know, then in, in diamond, but maybe offering that little, that one that's stripped down just a little bit, mm-hmm. that might not be a bad thing either. Right. I think that that uh, letting that communication, it shouldn't just be about the communication. You no. should, because though communication has, um, it, it, it drives an action mm-hmm. positive or negative. Right. And I think you're, you're saying that very, very well throughout this. Let me ask you, so real, I, I, real quick, you know, the source of the message. Now, sometimes I think it's, if, if you and I, if, if, if you're my client and we have a great relationship we've built mm-hmm. up over the last 20 years, does it help you? As, does it save our relationship? Because you buy from me. You mm-hmm. buy. You actually buy Michael first, and then you just happen to be right. uh, be buying what I'm selling you. So all of a sudden, my, my boss Cindy, she comes in. Is it better for Cindy to deliver that message to you? So so it shields me a little bit. So it's it's kind of like the the I want I don't know if I said this <laughs> right phrase. The child hiding behind the parent saying, uh-huh. I, I'm I'm telling you, Glory, it's not me. It's it's mom here. You know, it, it, is there any benefit to that? Well. When we're teaching professional communication, we do teach our students that hiding behind policy Mm. is not good. And so I would, in some ways, see hiding behind Cindy or Cynthia as as not so so much better than hiding behind policy. Now, it does lend you a little bit more of the opportunity to be on the side of the customer. And so in that sense, yes. Mm. 
But I think your client is still going to want to have an honest relationship yeah. with you. Right. And that doesn't seem very sincere to me to have the boss come in and deliver the Fair. message and then you to say, well, and by the way, I'm on your side. But it makes you know? my job so much easier. <laughs> no, it, does, it does. But, but it doesn't salvage that relationship. No. You're and about and sure. I think that, I mean, if we're talking about farmers, to me, yeah. um, farmers are pretty no nonsense and yeah. they can spot when you are not being sincere. Yeah. They and work with manure. They can spot manure when they yes, see it. Yes, they can. And they can smell it, too. They can smell it, too. <laughs> um, so I think that, that there's a certain amount of sincerity sure. that needs to accompany whatever message you're sending, whether yeah. you're sending it, um, whether you're speaking it or whether yep. you're sending it via email or whatever. If if the farmer senses the manure, yeah, yeah. they're going to be saying... Well, I don't, I don't know about this. Yeah. This, this doesn't, it sounds like the same message that everybody's getting. It doesn't sound like our personal relationship. And most of professional communication these days yeah. is conversational communication. Yeah. Right. So boilerplate mm-hmm. is going out the window yep. and sincerity is the hallmark. So you want your clients to believe you, trust you. So that when you deliver the bad news, they aren't going to simply abandon the relationship. Yep. And hiding behind the boss? Well, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I, I think, though, that there's 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 a limited amount of service providers out there, no matter mm-hmm. what you're selling. Equipment, right. There's a limited amount. And so... Um, Customers, just like uh, people, they, they get the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, um, I think that's even having trust. And you, I know that the relationships I have, I'm not willing to throw out the door simply because someone told me something I didn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. As long as it wasn't personal, as long as it wasn't, uh, as long as it's not going to bring me or my business down, I mean, I will mm-hmm. we'll probably get through that. And I think that that's something that people have to recognize. One of the last things I want to talk to you about real quick here, um, and we mentioned this before, you mentioned this to me, the idea of apologies. <laughs> Yes. Right. We, we, we mentioned we're here in the Midwest, you know, you, you'll hear about Midwest nice or anything like that. And what's our first thing that we want to do is we want to say, I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. We start off with when I hear I'm sorry at the first thing without even knowing what they're sorry about. I, it, it puts me in a different mode. I don't even know uh-huh. what it is. I just I'm preparing for something. Yep. Sometimes who knows what my day is like. I'm preparing for the worst. I'm preparing for the best. So talk to me. Talk to us about. Should we be apologizing for raising prices 20% on the service plan? No. Why? Because if you're raising the price, there must be a reason for it. Sure. So do you have control over that? The company's made the decision. Right. Why would you apologize? Sure. Um, There are some times when you need to apologize. If you've made a mistake of some kind, if the client hasn't gotten the service that he or she deserved. Yep. You need to apologize, but you need to do it once. And then the audience wants to hear, what are you going to do about it? Because apologizing multiple times is not being proactive and actually solving the problem. Yeah. So most audience members are going to want to know, what are you going to do for me? It's not just apologizing. So, okay, you apologize. Great. Apologize once Mm -hmm. because they want it. Sure. Don't apologize again because that in itself is negative. Mm. 
So the more you apologize, the more you sound needy hmm. and the more you sound like someone who may have something to hide because mm -hmm. maybe there was something actually wrong with right. raising that price, right? I'm so right. sorry we raised the price. Yeah. Might sound like you had a choice. Right. And if there was yep. a choice, then the client mm. may be saying, I, did they really need to raise that price? I don't know. Uh, but I think the other thing that you mentioned about what it does to you to see I'm sorry yeah. is something that happens to most people. And so if you see, I'm sorry to inform you that, yeah. which I tell my students never to use because it either sounds like you've been fired or someone died. And that's what I was thinking. I was just like, which uncle died? Yeah, it is. It is the worst case scenario yeah. and it makes our imaginations go wild. Yeah. What What is this terrible news, right? I'm sorry to inform you that sounds very final. Yep. And most things are not that final. Right. Now, right. maybe your uncle did die. Sure. In which case. So let's say, know. let's save that phrase for that time. Yes. Right. But on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you're not going to get the same service for this low price, but you're going to get yeah. more um, do you really need to say I'm sorry? Well, if you're sorry for the impact on that farmer that, yep. you know, can't afford the increase, you know, maybe that's an apology that's related to the situation, not related to the price increase. Fair enough. Yeah. And if there's something to do, well, let's take the weather. Yeah. Okay. People who apologize because events are canceled because of weather. <laughs> I can't control the weather. Right, I don't right. think you can. Not yet. <laughs> so why are we apologizing for sure. that? Right? Yeah. We all know this is a situation yep. that is beyond our control. Yeah. No need to apologize. Right. So apologize once, apologize early on. Yeah. Don't wait till the end because then people are saying, why haven't they apologized yet? Yeah. Um, especially if, if an order got screwed up or... You know, yeah, they drop the right. ball on something. That apology needs to come early. Yep. But then you move on to what we're going to do. How are we going to fix this? What are the proactive steps we're taking? Um, a, a classic example is what we saw with um, the Equifax data breach yep. and with Facebook yeah. and the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yep. We had CEOs apologizing for things and being somewhat vague about what they were actually going to do yeah. to address those issues. Yeah. And in the case of Equifax, actually offering free data monitoring, free credit monitoring yeah. when the data breach was in credit monitoring. Right. Right. So why would I want that yeah. as the, um, the thing that's going to make up yep. for this happening. So sometimes we get ourselves into more trouble thinking about what we can offer people when it's as simple as saying, yep. this is what we're doing to address the problem and being concrete and specific about it instead of generally saying we're handling it. Yeah. Because if you say we're handling it, the next question is how. Right, right. And how does it impact me? Well, I mean, there's a, it, it, I don't want to deviate too far from the, the delivery because this is significant, but go back to, I'm sorry, I think it was like in the 80s when Tylenol had 
their mm-hmm. big, you know, yep. PR uh, snafu, right? Well, it actually, I shouldn't say it was a snafu. What happened on the line where there was some suspected uh, cyanide in the mm-hmm. title, I don't even think anyone actually died. And that's the good news. I think that there was just a threat or some people got sick. Some people got sick, I think, and and they never identified But they the got source. out in front of it. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, they became stronger because of it, because I think they acknowledged, mm-hmm. they and they took action. But yep. the action was... Um, the action was in the direction that people responded well to. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, you know, being in, in, in marketing myself, it's sometimes hard to know what people are going to respond well to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look back on uh, uh, that Pepsi commercial that came out. I think it was with one of the, the Kardashians or something like that. And, and you know, they, I, I honestly think in my heart of hearts, they thought they were doing something that was going to change the world for the positive. And they were uh-huh. like, this is going to go well. And whoa, the backlash they received. Mm-hmm. And it's... You can't, you can't, sometimes you just can't be prepared. You just don't know until, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yes. Well, and, right? and uh, you know, I think we have an excellent example of that now too with, is it South Dakota that put out the advertisement saying meth, we're on it. Oh. And uh, a whole marketing campaign built around the idea that everybody could be on meth, meaning we're dealing with it. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds pretty clever to me. Yeah. But the response to that has been completely negative. Yes. And so it's all about your audience. Yep. Right? That message may have been clever, but if it wasn't well received, you failed. Yep. And the same is true with apologizing. Yep. You might think, oh, I got to apologize. I got to apologize. I got to yep. apologize. Right? If you say it once, you have apologized. You have. And the idea that saying it more is better right. is just wrong. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I know uh, I have I have a, a six-year-old and she's growing up and everyone's her best friend. So I, I said to her the other day, I was like, I said, you know, sweetie, if everyone's your best friend, no one's your best friend. You've watered mm-hmm. down the phrase <laughs> best. And I, and I think the same goes with the, the concept of an apology. If you tell me you're sorry 20 times after about the third or fourth, I'm just like, man. Are you, are you though? Cause I don't yeah. remember, heck, I don't remember what you're apologizing for anymore. All yep. I hear is I'm sorry. And it's, um, I think that that's, uh, but like you said, know your audience. That's huge. That's mm-hmm. significant. So, um, we covered a lot today and I am super excited <laughs> about this. I know that we have some, uh, of our listening audience that I had told them that we were going to be doing this. Um, and, uh, they were, they were excited to hear because they said, oh man, sometimes it feels like we have to deliver Poor, bad news all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. going to tell them, you know what? It's only bad news if you position it that way. Or if yeah. you, and I think well, that, well, well not, I mean, maybe I didn't say that correctly. Not strictly speaking, strictly, but yeah. you can make it worse news. You can make it worse news. By right. positioning it badly. Right. And making people think it's dire yeah. and tragic. But it's, it's really not. But it's really not. I mean, I, I think that there's few things that uh, on a daily basis, there might be that big one. And I tell you what, if it's that big, it might be worth hiring someone to help you with the messaging, right? Yeah, because you might be moving into risk communication at go. that point instead that's of just delivering bad news. And that's a whole other podcast. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll save that's that right. for later, right? <laughs> but, um, well, I do want to say thank you for uh, taking your time today. Um, uh, it was uh, It's a benefit uh, that um, you have an ag background by all means growing <laughs> up with it and working at a university that's uh, uh, largely dedicated to that. But one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here was simply because um, communication is communication is communication across the board. Every every industry out there has to deal yes. with it. Um, and I don't think that it's uh, any more significant in one than the other. I, 
I love talking about communications and you know I look at I look at the political season going on right now <laughs> and you say you say trigger words and how what what it means to certain people this group it means one thing and this group it means a completely opposite thing and that's the way it is but you know what if you know your audience you know how to use it mm-hmm. or use it against them or use yes. it for them right exactly. so it's it's such an interesting topic and so um but thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate this. This is one of my um, favorite topics. I'm so glad I thank got Thank you this. for inviting yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to conclude today's podcast by again thanking our guest, English and Communication Professor Gloria Betcher from Iowa State University for both her time and her energy. As a follow-up, you can download our checklist on how to deliver bad news and listen to all of the other podcasts by visiting agrisync.com slash customer service. Finally, we want to thank our friends at Precision Farming Dealer, who are partners in crime in presenting this limited podcast series. Precision Farming Dealer is the authoritative source for information on selling, servicing, and supporting precision farming technology and the trends shaping the future of the industry. Stay up to date with the latest and most important precision news and information by signing up for your free Precision Farming Dealer online account at www.precisionfarmingdealer.com. Slash